I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence, and I'm joined by David Snitkoff, Vice President of Analytics at Oculus. We're talking about credit scores, and obviously there is a lot of interest in borrowing money at the moment because a lot of people and a lot of companies are feeling the pinch. But FICO scores aren't giving the full picture of consumer creditworthiness. Why are they not giving the full picture, David? A FICO score is a very interesting tool and actually a good piece of democratizing technology. Before FICO scores, it was very hard for someone to establish trust when you didn't know the person lending to you or borrowing from you beforehand. So the idea that there's a place where you can have a record of payment and actually get someone's score in a very simple, easy to understand number, it's a very good thing. However, it has some blind spots and there are some blind spots that have always existed and we've known about this for decades. And there are some blind spots that are particularly large as a result of the specific dynamics of the COVID-19 pandemic. So first for some of these blind spots, a FICO score and actually consumer credit scoring in general will tell you how reliably someone has made payments on a credit product like a mortgage or a credit card or a student loan or an auto loan it won't contain things like employment. It doesn't contain things like income or assets or anything about the customer's willingness to pay. It's really just a historical record of whether or not someone has paid their bills, which again is good, but it's not complete. The Another big blind spot with FICO is it takes a credit history to get a credit history. So you get a consumer bureau record by having paid bills over time, but if you haven't paid bills over time, you don't have one, which sets up a bit of a chicken or egg situation. And that's why FICO very often is not the most reliable measure for people who are so-called thin file, which means they have very little credit history, or they just don't show up. People like recent immigrants who may actually be very credit worthy, but they don't have a history on the consumer bureaus. What you're actually saying is that if I haven't borrowed money because I've been careful with my money, for example... I'm going to find it very difficult to borrow money. That's correct. And at least in the United States, and there are different credit scoring systems around the world, but the traditional consumer credit bureau model in the United States says, okay, how much credit do you have outstanding? How much credit availability do you have? What ratio of your available credit have you used? And when you've used credit, how frequently have you actually made the payments and paid it back? So. It's good on an overall population basis, but yes, there are people who maybe you've never needed credit, maybe you've never wanted to use credit, maybe you've had a great credit history outside the United States, and then you come into the U.S. and try to borrow money, and it's actually difficult to do so here because lenders are not necessarily looking at your international experience, they're looking at your U.S. credit bureau. There are a couple issues happening right now that make clear the insufficiency of consumer credit data, which, as I said, a lot of value to having this database of historical payments that you can query. However, if you look at the dynamics of today's pandemic, unemployment is so high, and it was instantaneous unemployment for a lot of people. Also, in particular industries, there's underemployment, businesses being closed, businesses being closed actually on and off as a result of lockdowns coming into effect and out of effect, that a historical record of someone having paid their bills may not be the best indicator of whether they can afford to take on additional debt right now. Imagine you were a bank, 
you were lending to two restaurant owners. One of them has paid every bill over the past 10 years, used credit minimally, but when he had to, he paid his bills, everything looked good, maybe that person has a high FICO score. Other restaurant owner was kind of spotty, overextended, missed a few bills, defaulted on a credit card maybe six years ago, that person has a low FICO. In the normal circumstance, it would be very clear you lend to one and you don't lend to the other, or at least you balance it with the rates that you give them. Today, all that data is kind of irrelevant because what do you want to know the most? Is this person's restaurant even open? Is the restaurant open? Are they able to earn money? How much money do they owe to their landlord? When will the restaurant reopen? And how much cash do they have in the bank to sustain them before they can start having money come in the door from customers again? So these kind of dynamics are totally not the types of data points that you would find on a traditional consumer bureau record and certainly not within a FICO score. But the data is available. What you've described is all potentially publicly available data that should be easily accessible. And this is where analytics comes in because you can find this information and plug it in to your decision-making process alongside the base FICO score. Yes, and now some of it is more accessible than others, and, and certainly just because something is available doesn't mean it's easy to use. And, and so we're in this very interesting point in time where the amount of data in the universe that's out there for you to use when making a decision is massive. But very often, it's messy, it's noisy, it can be misleading. There are very complicated data rights and consumer privacy questions, depending on the jurisdiction that lenders have to be aware of. And then, of course, a lot of the most valuable data is locked within these very hard to parse and hard to read documents. And this is actually what we do at Oculus. You, you know, our mission is to help lenders and other financial services companies make high quality decisions with trusted data in an automated and efficient way. And what that very often means is lenders will collect from their applicants and customers things like bank statements, pay stubs, tax forms, identity forms, all these documents where, yes, this data is in there, but we have to parse it out. And sometimes the quality is not very good. And then reading something off the page is great. But what's even better is being able to add context to it and adding analytics on top of it. So for a business, you don't just want to see the numbers on someone's bank statement. You want to see, well, what's their revenue? What are their expenses? What are their recurring revenue that you can rely on? And what are their recurring expenses? In a sense, their obligations that they need to pay out probably before they pay you back as a lender. And this is kind of really important information that you want to know in making a credit decision. And what we've seen is that this year, the demand for that information has been growing at an absolutely massive rate because lenders have realized this. They've realized that they can't get all the data they need to make a decision from traditional sources. So they need to layer on more data, more decision points within that data, and then they need to use that data to make a much more personalized decision based on the type of borrower, type of industry, type of loan product, et cetera. Well, we can agree that credit data on its own is going to be insufficient in quite a lot of these cases. Obviously, for the broad general mass of lending decisions, it still works. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to, I wouldn't call them the fringes because they're pretty darn big fringes, but when it comes to decisions that require more information, there has to be a way of doing that, which is not expensive, which is efficient, and which is quick. 
as well as being legal and, and reasonable and honest right. and fair. So how do you solve all that? So I think you hit the nail on the head that, you know, the information is out there. There has to be a way to use that information to make a decision. But, uh, you know, imagine actually gathering that information and, and having a person read through it and, and make a decision. Number one, it's going to be very expensive and inefficient and, and highly manual. Forget for a second the operational expense for the lender. There's just the customer experience of having to wait for a decision for days or weeks. And, and if you've had the experience of getting a mortgage in the United States, you might have to wait three months because someone is actually looking through hundreds of pages of documents to document everything needed for a mortgage decision. And you know, layer in one more point, which is that there's if you have a manual process, you have this chance for human error, for human bias, all these things that you really don't want to have in, a, in an auditable and replicable process. So the way we solve that, and this is actually what we do every day with, with our clients, and we have several hundred lenders on our platform. What we do is we can take all the documentation that would be necessary to make an underwriting or risk management decision. That could be, you know, as I said, identity documents, bank statements, pay stubs, tax forms, all kinds of financial information. And we will in an automated way, classify those documents, extract the data from those documents, calculate analytics on top of it, perform some fraud detection. And we've analyzed hundreds of millions of, of documents, which means we have a very good data set for fraud and anomaly detection on these documents. And then we send the data back to the lender in a highly structured machine readable format over an API, an application programming interface. And that means that a lender can make an essentially automated decision with what was previously a highly manual process. And I think we're gonna see that increasing quite substantially over time. And we're even seeing it grow now in areas that were previously very manual, like the mortgage industry. Where does this leave us though, if somebody turns around and says, well, the, the, the machine got it wrong, the computer got it wrong, the AI got it wrong, well, you know, computers are actually not very smart, right? A computer can only understand what we've programmed them to understand or, or what we've given them, given them enough data to interpret. But here's the way I think about it. A computer, at least, is auditable. So you can understand the data that went into a computer. If you've set up the proper instrumentation, you can log the various steps. You can understand what was done with the data, and you can understand the decision coming out of it. A human, on the other hand, is the ultimate black box. A human takes in information, may take in other information that you actually didn't want the human to consider for ethical and regulatory reasons, and they might make a decision, and you don't really know how a human made that decision. So when people talk about bias and you know unevenness of, of information and, and of decision-making, a human is actually the greatest black box here. And I think there's there's something to be said about you know, making sure that we understand what algorithms are doing, testing what the data going into them, testing their outcomes, making sure they're well monitored. But in general, I think a world where algorithms make quick decisions and give consumers a quick answer and then give consumers a choice as to where, uh, as to where they're going to go and who they're going to do business with is much better than a world where the only thing you could do is walk into your local bank, bank branch. And if that person liked you, you were lucky. And if that person didn't like you, you were out of luck and had no other options. What you're basically saying is the computer doesn't require me to put a tie on and shine my shoes. 
it doesn't <laughs> if if you feel that that helps the computer know you and like you then you're free to do so if not the computer does not care what you look like or what you're wearing david snickoff of oculus thank you very much indeed